Hi, everybody. This is Bishop Sue Hoffert Johnson, and uh, we're back at the table. And uh, over the next eight to 10 podcasts, I am inviting the eight district superintendents, and I've invited them to, to bring the topics of conversation that they think that um, would be of interest to the entire annual conference, subjects that we need to discuss more in depth. And I've also invited them to bring laity who have a stake in this, obviously, equal partners in ministry, but we wanted to have conversations around the table about different topics with clergy and laity from each district. And I really see this as all of these topics are beginning of, or you know, part of an ongoing conversation. And we continue to welcome your input, uh, your desire, let us know topics uh, at Bishop at you in wait Bishop at ngumc.org uh, with suggestions for the podcast. But today I am very excited. I have uh, Reverend Susan Landry, who is the district superintendent of the new Southwest District, and uh, the lay leader of of the formerly the Griffin District, but a vital part of ministry in Southwest Georgia. Uh, Debbie Stikes. And Debbie, I'm delighted you're here with us. And Susan, and excuse me, our topic for the day is small churches. And uh, really, uh, that has been a a hot topic of conversation at annual conferences and around the annual conference. And so uh, I'm just going to open the floor and we want to have a candid discussion about uh, the need for for small churches, uh, the life cycle of churches, kind of how the annual conference views them and how things are going in our small churches. And we do have some input from Yolanda, uh, Yolanda uh, Colton, who is writing, who wrote in her questions too. She couldn't be with us today, but we definitely wanted her input. So we have some questions from her that will kind of work into the conversation as we go along. So uh, welcome to both of you. And, uh, I'll, you know, just start in. Where do you want to start with this? Well, I was um, excited that there was an opportunity for folks to just hear from you, Bishop Sue, and uh, um, join us in this conversation, really. I feel like having been um, in the district with the LaGrange district for three years, and then now we've got the Southwest district, I was excited that Debbie could come, um, having been the lay leader um, of the Griffin district for four years already, she brings a wealth of experience and has worked closely with some small churches as well as the lay leader, has a passion for the church. And to me, um, small churches, I think sometimes feel like they are at the bottom of the rung and don't realize how we need all of the churches. We Mm -hmm. need churches of all sizes and shapes and colors and um, because we wanna be reaching people of all types. So, Um, I was hoping that we could just talk about the concerns that maybe some of the small churches are having Mm -hmm. and wondering if, if they, um, how we view them and how, if they matter. Right. Well, I think I, I always begin with, I think people forget that as a clergy person, I wasn't born a bishop. (laughs) I served a small church. I live day in and day out. In fact, I think my first really public to a to a, a annual conference wide event, uh, my first 
uh, topic was, what's it like to be a pastor when you have the Bible in one hand and a plunger in the other hand? Because that's the reality, you know, that um, we, I had a part-time uh, secretary and a part-time worship leader and volunteer youth and children, and we rocked on. And so um, it's not like, and every pastor, this also comes up uh, representation on the annual conference delegation, because people get upset that only large church pastors are on there. But they forget that all of those large church pastors, Bill Britt wasn't born at Peachtree Road. I mean, it, it, the cabinet members who have served large churches, they all have been in small churches. And most of them have served small churches in rural parts of Georgia. So um, that, that experience doesn't leave you. Uh, in fact, it really informs your decision. And for me, cultivated a great love for the small church. Um, and, you know, it's fun to talk to the cabinet members and Susan, you'll echo me on this, but when they talk about their, their favorite days of ministry or where they really felt vital or where they really had a church that they sensed that Christ was at work in the community, often it was in those smaller churches because you really can. I, if I say many times, if I had to go back to a church, one of the churches I served, I'd go back to the small church I served because the relationships were deep and strong. And that's the only church I've ever served where I could have called five or 10 people on any given Sunday morning and they could have preached a really good sermon because there was a depth of spirituality and a depth of relationship. And if somebody was in the hospital, they didn't expect just the hired pastor to go. They all went, they all saw themselves. So I do think that um, uh, much of what I learned in the small church informs my life and work. And then as a superintendent, I oversaw 90 or so churches and most of them, it was North Central District of Florida, most of them were rural and most of them were very small. So a large part of my work has been in small churches. But I think the delineation isn't between the small and the large church or the vibrancy of ministry, which can be found. I mean, there, let's face it, there's some large churches that aren't that great. But uh, I do think that the, the dividing line isn't small church, large church. The dividing line is healthy church, missional church, vibrant church, as opposed to inwardly focused, selfish not reaching the community church. And that can be large or small. And I have seen large and small churches who are not uh, outwardly focused, vibrant, um, responsive to the call of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of the people in the community. So to me, let's, if we could begin with that delineation, because that's really what we work out. It's, and, and as I said before, uh, the DSs and I don't sit around every day plotting what small church we're gonna close because it's a miserable thing to do. I, I think during this time, especially, there is such an isolation, not only mm -hmm. of individuals, but of churches. And I think the, a lot of the small membership churches, this is really, really hit them with the technology. I mean, we've got people in the Southwest District who don't even have good cell service. Right. Forget having Wi-Fi at the church. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll never see a podcast because mm -hmm. that is beyond anything right. they could do. And I think, you know, we're not real great at talking about the ebb and flow of lives 
of human beings. We don't like mm-hmm. to talk. We don't like to talk. I mean, I'm getting old. Maybe that's why I'm okay. With that. <laughs> you know, I'm, not, I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm okay with that. But you know, we don't, that, I think it is absolutely true that there is an ebb and flow to the life of a church. And we don't talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're going to have to talk about that. I think yeah. churches are going to have to realize that what they've always done is not doable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think you raise a lot of things. One thing that I think is going to come out of this, and I'm really ready to, to um, get into the justice realm and work with uh, school boards and with uh, governmental entities, because we have got to get infrastructure, Wi-Fi, capability to every corner of, of not just our annual conference, but of our country and the world. Um, because that is going to be a huge, uh, the disparity there is going to divide rich from poor, educated from uneducated. And really, um, I think we're learning, I, I know in this pandemic, I've done my first um, virtual doctor visits. How great is that? I mean, half the time, I think half the time I've been sick in my life and I think I got sicker when I went to the doctor's office. <laughs> but the, but the virtual, you know, that those under, those communities are underserved often. Um, the ones that are underserved with technology are underserved with medical care. They're underserved with uh, information. They're under, and so if we could get this, um, this technology, I think it's a justice issue. And so I think that Part of this call is for us to, as a church, unite with other entities and, and make that happen. And I'm really interested in pushing that. And I, I love, I love what you said about going to visit those small membership churches because we don't even have local church conferences anymore. Right. The is don't go to the local churches like they used to do. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, know, I know why. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not pushing for. We've got to have charge conference in every church. I mean, right. That that's, I mean, we can't do that. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. the fact that you visited those churches, I wish every district superintendent would just, you know, challenge themselves to spend three quarters of their visits in a church, 50 members or less. Mm -hmm. Because what that would do is would send a message to these churches. They are important. It would yeah. send a message to them. Yes, we don't have to be a large membership. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, by virtue of the fact that I've got enough seats for people to sit in, we have right. a lot of meetings at Griffin First. Mm-hmm. But if we were to go out, oh, that's why I love, I'm going to a small membership. I'm preaching at Griffin First at the branch this Sunday, but in a couple of weeks, I'm going to a small membership church to preach and they are so excited the district lay leader would come and I was like yeah y'all don't know me very well because I really I'll go anywhere you know <laughs> I mean I'm not <laughs> I'm happy I'm happy to go like <laughs> I got a great boss who goes oh that's fine you know whatever but I they feel yeah noticed oh yeah I, as a DS I went to every church in my district uh, during my tenure and um, I can't, I, it appalled me how many times I heard, oh my gosh, you're the first district superintendent who's ever been here. Now, some of them exaggerated because I happen to know the two previous district superintendents are like, yeah, no, <laughs> but, but no, there is, there is power in that and there is strength in that. And um, 
Uh, I think, you know, well, one reason I did that, uh, one fall, every church that had uh, uh, attendance lower than 25, I went to. And I think there were maybe 20, 22 churches like that. So it was a pretty significant amount of time that I put into it. And I worshiped with them. And I say of the 22 churches, two of them had, you could feel the Holy Spirit in the service. I mean, you could tell that, you know, one of them was busing in children uh, to be in ministry to one, you know, so, so two of them by virtue of worshiping with them and seeing the dynamic, I knew that those were vibrant and alive churches, even though the numbers might not have done that. Another church I went to was in a tiny community outside of Gainesville, Florida. And uh, that church, the 20 people in that church were the service group of that community. I mean, everybody in that, that church was known for those 20, and, and they were the church. I mean, anybody in that community, although they didn't attend worship, could tell you that that is a, the church of our community. And it was looked on as that. that so, so three or four of them, but the rest of them, I hate to say, were just shells of the past. And they were hanging on for dear life. Their facilities were in disrepair. They hadn't had a profession of faith. They couldn't tell you anything about their community around them. And, you know, some of them, some of them, and part of it, what we have to acknowledge in North Georgia as well, some of those areas just have withered on the vine. I mean, a lot of the mill town, I mean, it's hard. And, um, and in my old district, it was funny. Uh, a lot of those churches, it was, I did a wedding for one of my clergy and his mother-in-law-to-be came up to me and said, we rode by two Methodist churches within like two miles of here. I said, yeah, they were built before we had cars. And so if you were riding your horse or you had a wagon, but that really is not, you know, any argument that all three should stay. I mean, they were all hanging on by a thread. So, so really uh, the question is, I think for the bishop and the cabinet and for district leadership, is this church vibrant or not? Is this church focused on its community or not? And um, is this church, uh, is what it was founded for, it worked fine in its day, but now the conditions have changed. And, you know, what needs to happen in my last district is three or four, and it's happening by just by time and death, uh, three or four, four of those churches need to come together. And really, I think what they'll find when they come together is it's really nice not to have to try to find three youth directors and three children's directors. It's really nice not to have to maintain four facilities. It really it would be nice to have a critical mass of people and, you know, in COVID days, it's going to even ramp up just the devastation. So how, you know, but the, I think that the heart of the matter is you have an unwavering focus on mission. Yes, yes. And the mission, it does take relationship to be able to accomplish that mission. And, and I feel like you all were talking about that when you said about going to visit those churches and and uh, letting them know that you saw them and Debbie, that you're letting them know you see them and you care about them. And I, I care very much about all of the people in those churches. I care about, I know that many of them are actually <clears throat> the saints of the church because 
they are the ones that are still there and are trying their very best to be the church. And it is so much harder than it used to be to be the church, especially when your kids and grandkids can't find a livelihood in the area because some things changed in the area. Some businesses closed down and the jobs went other places. And so those kids and grandkids, maybe they can come back on a Sunday, but how do you reach a community that way? And it's a, it is a struggle for these people. And I, I'll tell you just um, personally, you know, I, I was involved in and a part of um, some closures in the LaGrange district um, prior to this. And it, it was difficult every time. And um, my heart was with the people every time. Mm -hmm. And what one of the things that sticks out in my mind was one um, lovely church deep in the country. Um, when I went to visit with them, um, the, the person who, the patriarch basically of the church in, in his early 80s, when I got there was up on a ladder at the top of one of the windows trying to repair something. And it, it sticks with me because I was looking at this saint of a man who's been doing everything he could to uh, maintain this church, takes pride in it, wants it to be beautiful for the community and for, for God and for everyone, and was worried about what the DS was going to see when she arrived and was risking himself. Mm -hmm. And the last thing we want to see, um, you know, the bishop talks about it all the time, her care about the people and reaching people for Christ so that they can be free in Christ and be followers that are full of joy. And I, I get the sense that things are turned upside down sometimes when you get to the bottom of your resources and people begin to feel um, burdened and where they would probably say, oh, but that burden is a privilege. Well, at a certain point over years of the burden getting heavier and heavier, there's a sense of care for their spirit and for that entire community. Um, wanting for those beautiful people to not have to worry as much about a building and be able to actually reach out and, and love and help mentor the people around them there. So as a layperson, I hope the two of you heard yourselves when you said that you heard the stories of those small membership congregations, because part of our problem has been with other people, and certainly not the two of you. These small congregation churches have become data points, mm -hmm. and, and not, you know, I mean, you have heard their stories, and, but, but there are times when they don't feel like anyone mm -hmm. has heard their story. They've turned into a data point. And, and so I thank you. I applaud both of you and I appreciate both of you because you do hear the stories of those small membership churches. And that is so important to them. So important to them. Mm -hmm. I think the quandary though, we find from a missional standpoint and from a, a resource standpoint, is um, as these churches age uh, and dwindle, there are increasing, in most areas, increasing numbers of people who don't know Jesus Christ around them. 
Yes. And so our mission doesn't change. And so part of what the hard calculus we have to do is, do we use our resources in mission to introduce people to Jesus Christ? Or do we prop up buildings? Do we prop up aging congregations? Um, you know, um, some, and, and you know, Debbie, you spoke earlier about technology. A lot of these tiny churches, small churches, they got telephones. I mean, you know, the relationships you can develop. And ideally in a small community, the, my experience is having lived in some small communities, you have the networks and the deep web of relationships that you really can't. I mean, in COVID times, you're probably better off because you know who to call and check on. I mean, right. in my small church, we could divide, you know, divide the church. We probably had 150 in worship. Let's, you know, each of us, all, you know, the, the church council probably had 12. Each of us will take 12 names and we'll call them. And, and we'll call them every other day if need be. And each of us knows, you know, another 10 people in the community who we need to call and check on. You know, did somebody check on the, did somebody check on the Folsom family? Did somebody check on the, so I, I almost think that in COVID times, small churches, they may not have the technology to do major worship broadcasts, but at the end of the day, and that's where I think we get hung up, that uh, if you read Acts, the gospel is spread from one person to one person. Amen. You know, and we've lost track of that. And so, um, and that's the first thing that goes in an established church. I mean, the studies show that the longer a church has been in existence, the worst job they do at telling people about Jesus Christ one-on-one. Yeah, I want to I wanna talk about that because I, I kind of, I, I carry that, um, burden, if you will. I mean, as uh -huh. the director of discipleship and care, you know, I, and I, and I preach to myself and, you know, I used to tell my children that I couldn't preach and Billy, many of you know, Bill, my youngest son looked at me and said, really? Cause you ought to hear yourself get <laughs> when you really believe something, you really can preach if you want to. But I, I do carry that uh, burden, if you will. I, that's probably not the word I'm looking for. But as a leader, where, at what point did I fail uh, at making sure people were empowered to tell their stories? Mm -hmm. I mean, I go back and I, and I say to people, I mean, you know, I don't want you to stand on a street corner and beat somebody over the head with your Bible. And I, for Pete's sake, I don't want you to memorize the road to Romans. I do not want you to do that. I want you to be able to say, standing in a grocery store line, when somebody says, you know, excuse me, how's your day going? You can say, you would not believe what God's done for me. Mm -hmm. They're not going to argue with you about that. They're, right. I mean, I can spew scripture if you want me to, but, uh -huh. but that's not going to tell our story to the world around us. And so I guess that's a question I feel like we really, in, in the highest, most offices of our congregations, we need to figure out where it is we need to make those fundamental changes to make sure that everybody who walks in and has a seat has a story to tell when they walk out the door. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and you know, when that really came home to me, uh, every Wednesday night of my ministry, I've had a Bible study. I mean, I've, you know, chart them down, but I had a group and we had met, we had, you know, it was probably 25 people. We met every week for three years. And in the third year, I pulled out Wesley's questions and we do, we talk about one each week. This is what he would use in his classes. And the question of the week was, who have you shared your faith with this week? And they looked at me like deer in the headlights. I might have well have said, you know, um, <laughs> it was alien to them. <laughs> and so we started exploring that. And I remember we had a prominent realtor in town in that class. And she came one week and she said, Pastor Sue, I, I've got a quandary because I have a woman who's an agent in my office and, she's, and she listed the horrific things that had happened in this woman's life. And she said, you know, I've always, if somebody had issues like that, I'd invite them to church because that's what you do, right? It's the pastor's job to preach a good sermon and then they come to Christ. And she said, but I can honestly tell you, this woman has been so scarred by the church in her past. She will never come to church with me. She will never set foot in a church again. So what do I do? And I just looked at her. I said, you know what? You've got to, you are her church. You are her church. And so we practice and talk about how do you share your faith? And I still remember, I can tell you at Hyde Park United Methodist, I was 28 years old and Brad Dinsmore was our senior pastor and he led a class on sharing your faith. And we practiced and I still remember how terrified I was. And, uh, and he held my hand while I talked about, you know, this is what my life was like. This is how far I'd wandered away. This is how I met, you know, Christ. This is what Christ has done for me. And this is how my life is different. And this is why your life can be different too. And I want you to know that and to embrace that. And I will walk with you and journey with you through that. You know, we will read the Bible together, whatever is helpful to you. But I want him to be a force in your life like he's a force in my life. And that changed me profoundly. But that's, but now I think the church is back to Acts times. It's not going to be ever again. I don't think ever again we'll have a day when you drag a bunch of people to a big building and hope that a preacher will connect with them. We've got people who are, who have no idea, no understanding, no background of church. Or if they do, like my daughter right now has a real problem with the church because she, you know, it, it, yeah. I, I want it to be less racist. I want it to talk about important things. I want it to be critically changing in the world. I don't want it sitting around arguing about stuff. And, you know, so generations are turned off by the church right now. So we're going to have to be the church individually. And I think our churches should be places where we teach people how to be disciples and speak, you know, share their faith rather than being in that old paradigm of, you know, and, and I think that's why, if you want to explain why a lot of these small churches are in decline, that story got lost a long time ago. And the urgency of telling people got lost a long time ago. That's why new churches, you know, if you look at churches year three to five that are, that are from scratch, they have to do that to survive. That's their understanding. But man, once they hit year five, you can see it start to harden. And eventually 
they'll decline just like the churches we have now because we've lost the gospel narrative that fuels the church. And somehow we've got to keep a foot in both worlds. Do the yeah. both and, not the either or. I mean, we've mm -hmm. got a flock now who right. does not know what to do that we need to, to help. And, you know, I have to kind of um, watch myself. I'm really bad about wanting to go to somebody and grab them by the hand and drag them, kicking and screaming where I know they ought to be. Yeah. But really, I just need to go stroll along with them and let help them discern where God wants them to be. I got great ideas. It's just, I'm not mm -hmm. always right with exactly God's purpose on that. But great ideas. And I think a lot of times God is giving you those ideas. I, I, I think I wanted to respond about um, what you were saying, Bishop Sue, about how we are functioning as a church now or, or not, and how it seems that as time goes by, we, we lose the vibrancy and we lose the, the focus, the mission. And I know that it seems that people outside of churches now those who have turned away from churches, they feel that the institution has in some way tainted and um, pulled away from the mission. And, and maybe, they're, maybe they're right in a lot of ways. And I think it might be our task now, we didn't start out to be more institutional um, as, as Methodists. We, we started out to actually be less institutional and reach people outside the door. Exactly. We've got to renew our own movement of renewal. Reclaiming that. Yes. Going back to it. And that is how you inject the change into the life cycle of the church. When the church has hit its peak and is coming down on the other side, as the training goes, there has to be an injection of change when the decline starts or mm -hmm. else the momentum is to continue to go down in your vibrancy and in, in your numbers and in probably every marker that anybody could put in front of you. Well, and it's kind of like, you know, if I find out I have a horrible history, family history of heart disease. So if I have high blood pressure and high cholesterol, I need to nip that early. I mean, I can control that early, but if I wait, and I have a heart attack and I'm left with 50%, 40%, 30% heart function, I will never have the vibrancy I once had. And I feel like that's how some of our churches are. And the sad thing is, if a church is not pushing, it's in decline. That's right. If, if you're not, if, if, you, if you are not continuing right. the upward motion, you are in decline. I remember I served the largest, the largest church in the state of Florida, the largest Methodist church in the state of Florida. And I went to the senior pastor and I said, I think we're in trouble. He said, what? You're crazy. He, I, he said, I said, I, I'm concerned about our confirmation class. He said, are you kidding me? We had 125, 150 kids in the confirmation class and, and we had their parents come to confirmation too. I said, I'm concerned because I'm going to go get the attendance. And I went and pulled the attendance of all of those families. So we're talking, you know, over 100 families. And we looked at the attendance and two families had been there like between 30 and 40 Sundays a year. Uh, maybe 50 families had been there, you know, between three and four Sundays a year. And the others were there on Christmas and Easter. And I said, we're in decline. 
this shows us, and he was like so mad at me, but I'm like, no, we're into, this is the, you're looking at, this is when we've got to name the high cholesterol and the high blood pressure. This is the point because we are, we know them, but we are not connecting with them and they are not finding anything compelling here. And what is that about? And that is hard. And now, I mean, our, to me, our greatest strength is our greatest weakness. And that is a church on every corner. A United oh, yeah. Church on every corner. But during this pandemic, I mean, my husband and I have talked about this multiple times. I've spent 22 and a half years saying, you need to be in church. You need to be in church. You need to be in church. And the last six months, I've said, you're fine. Watch it online. You're fine. Exactly. You're Save fine. your life. <laughs> It'll be recorded, you know, and so now, I mean, when we get to the end of this, we're going to have to figure that out, right? Because we are telling people it's it's okay, it's okay to have your church at home and do your missional things at home. So, as church leaders, we're going to figure out, have to figure that out, right? At the end of this, and it right. it may be kind of an interesting thing to do, frankly. Yeah, and I think too, it's how do we talk about um, why do we come together? Where is the encouragement? Where is the fellowship? And, and what does that fellowship look like? And how do we make it compelling? You know, and, and I think everything's up in the air right now, but it helps us go back. And that's why I'm so glad. And thank you all for, for writing for our Luke and Acts study. But it's time to go back to Acts and say what fueled, what was important? Um, before we had buildings, before we had technology, before we had what was important was a desire um, to tell and a desire to have the power of Christ and a power to transform. And I think that a lot of declining churches, what is missing is a real love and concern for the people immediately around the church. Um, an example, uh, First Tampa, First Methodist in Tampa, Florida, old, old church, longstanding, um, very uh, prominent uh, membership, declined, 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 declined. Everybody was driving in to downtown Tampa. Nobody lived around there anymore. They were driving in. And I think that was the ugliest, most bitter church closure I've ever seen. I mean, that annual conference, we all left just, they fought it tooth and nail they, you know, denied what the writing on the wall. And so the church was closed and Hyde Park Methodist in Tampa took over that facility and they have a coffee shop there that is staffed by homeless people. They have vibrant worship that draws the inner city crowd there. They are very attuned to what the needs are in that community and, and how to present Christ in that kind of community. And it is vibrant. It's very different. It's not your prominent, you know, it's not what that church ever dreamed it would be, but it's now a vibrant place. And so part of what we have to do too, I think, is check our own selfish desires, right? Yeah. Um, and I never got why people were, I finally got the nostalgia part of it when they remodeled my home church, which is First Lakeland. And I, I knew the pastors who had been in that church. I was one of them myself. And I, I remember uh, putting my hands on that pulpit and you could feel where they had, they had worn it, you know? The caliber of pastors, 
the sermons preached from that, man, it just would make me tear up when I think about it. And they replaced that pulpit. And I, I was beside myself. And then in my prayer time, God said, it wasn't the pulpit that did that. Your memories of those pastors and their sermons isn't inhibited at all. You're, you're focused on the wrong thing. And so get over your own selfish desire and aversion to change and see where the spirit's leading. And that I think is the heart of this message that, you know, if you, I tell you, if I'm 85 years old and I'm in a church that's down to five people, I'm not going to fight to keep that thing open. I'm going to say, God, send me to a, another congregation where I can pray and be a part and a contributing member of, a, of something that has a future, that has a vibrant future. And, and I'll, I'll, this is the last story I'll tell, and then I'll, I'll leave the last word to you guys. But I had a church that I had to close in the North Central District of Florida because um, it's, it had foundation issues, right? It was, it was going to cost them like $100,000 just to stabilize it, not to fix it. And they were down to seven and it got so bad that they didn't have worship one Easter. I'm like, what? Somebody called me and said they didn't have worship. So I called the pastor, part-time local pastor. I said, did you have worship on Easter? Well, yeah, they have their usual um, fashion show. You know, they have like a, they put on their hats and, but we did it at three o'clock in the afternoon. I said, well, the sign in front of your church, I think, says that you worship there at 11 a.m., right? And if I came to your church on Easter Sunday at 11 a.m., there was nobody there, was there? And they said, no. I said, this is, this is done. You're not there for anybody in this community but yourselves, the seven of you. But boy, it was a bitter, nasty, ugly, ugly. That's the only time I've ever feared for my physical well-being. There was my car door between me and a gentleman I thought was going to break every bone in my face. He was that angry that that church was closing. So we got to annual conference and I always made sure if we closed a church that the churches around it extended warm invitations to join because I think that's an obligation of the church. And I got to annual conference. It was the day that we were having the closure of the churches. And I had gotten a call from an attorney that week who said, uh, you know, um, I understand you're closing the church. And I said, yes. And he said, well, how, how, we might be filing suit to enjoin that. And I said, well, you need to understand we close, we close the church as a church, um, as a Methodist church at annual conference, and then the property goes up for sale. So this doesn't do anything with the property. It'll be put up on the market. He said, oh, okay, well, that changes things because they really don't want the church. They want the property. I said, okay. So uh, the afternoon we were closing the churches, somebody came up to me and they said, there's a woman looking for you. Um, and um, then somebody else came up and it was one of the women from that church. And I was, I was just like dreading seeing her. I knew it was going to be ugly. So I walked into the auditorium and I saw her across the room. And she caught my eye and she came running up to me and hugged me. And I was like, what? Jesus, where's Jesus? Because something is changed. And she said, I want to thank you. I said, why? And she said, well, I've been trying and struggling to keep that church afloat for decades. And she said, I went ahead and went to another church like you suggested that they had invited me. And she said, I can't tell you how how what a joy it is to go to a church where there are people 
and, and the music is good and the preaching is excellent and the facility is gorgeous. And she said, and the wonderful thing is they'd been waiting for somebody to step in their prayer ministry leader had moved away and they were looking for a new prayer ministry leader. And that's what I'm called to do. And I'm heading up the prayer ministry and I have, you know, 15 or 20 other members who pray with me. And I've never been so close to Jesus as I have been in the last couple of months. So resurrection, I think we've just got to check our own egos and our own desires, our nostalgia. I think a big enemy of the Holy Spirit is nostalgia and say, you know, maybe this is about something bigger than I am. And that's what the conference, that's what we as a cabinet have to say. There's something bigger than the individuals involved. And we've got to watch out for the whole and see where the Holy Spirit's leading us and to use our resources, which are precious, you know, precious um, in the best way to further the mission as possible. So that's my, those are my thoughts on small churches. It's not that we are out to pray. We don't like wander around like lions watching for the next small church to go. Uh, we really are evaluating vibrancy and resources and how do we further the mission in this community. And, you know, I'll leave it to you. I've said enough. I've said way too much, probably. I, it, interesting that you would tell that story. Last night after a Bible study, I met the ladies in a Sunday school class. Now, I had negotiated the merger of two Sunday school classes about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was quite a negotiation. It yeah. lasted months. Um, and during the pandemic, these ladies have decided that they cannot continue as a class anymore. We've lost too many of them. Um, they, just, they just decided that this, this was their time. And so they called me a few weeks ago and said that when we started Sunday School Back, they were not gonna come back. And um, I may get emotional about that, surprised <laughs> about it, but they are wonderful, wonderful people. And I told them, I said, we'll, we'll work through it. I mean, you know, I understand. So I've helped each one of the ones who were left to find a new Sunday school class that they've been meeting with during the pandemic. I've got one 86 year old who's doing a Zoom class mm -hmm. and I've got a 92 year old who's doing go to meeting and I've kind of walked them, you know, walked them through that. But last night I wanted to meet them in their room so that they could get the personal items that, mm -hmm. you know, through the years that they've left there. And what a beautiful walk down memory lane it was mm -hmm. for me. I mean, the, the vases that were bought by a lady who died several years ago. And anyway, the great saints, this great cloud of witnesses, I felt like were with us in the room. And I looked at them and I said, well, you know, when Sunday school comes back, I don't know if it'll make you feel any better or not, but I've got a new class for 20s and 30s who are moving into this room. And there are about mm, 12, 15 of them right now. We're, we're still kind of gathering the group together. But I said, I don't know if it'll make you feel any better or not, but you are certainly passing the torch mm -hmm. to another generation right. in the church. And they were so excited. I'm the only one sad in the whole place. <laughs> and the only reason I'm sad about it is because I just knew how much this class meant to them. And yet that is not going to change. I mean, mm -hmm. I can tell you, even though these ladies, there are four or five of them left, 
they have gone to several different classes. And so they, they, while they won't be in the same class, I guarantee you, they are still going to call and check on each other every mm-hmm. day. They are oh, still yeah. going to know what's going on in each, each other's lives. And I loved that class because I'm telling you, on Sunday morning at 9.50, because 9.45 is when Sunday school started, at 9.50, if somebody was missing, they were on the phone to call and find out where they were. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't that they were being ugly, but, you know, where are you? They were worried ab- mm-hmm. about them. But the joy of seeing their faces to find out that there would be some 20 and 30 year olds in that room continuing with the tradition of Sunday school. Well, Sunday school is going to look a little different when it's 20 and 30 right. years old, but still. But the fact that, that they are passing the torch along is wonderful. And that I think is probably one of the things we're going to have to do with the small membership churches is mm-hmm. help them figure out how to pass the torch. And that's, you know, I mean, some of them aren't going to do it and, and, yeah. and they're going to be gone, but there are those who will, who mm-hmm. are going to pass the torch. And when they do, thank goodness, the gospel message is still going to be carried because that's what we need to be concerned with is right who's who's going to tell somebody about Jesus you know yeah wow that was a beautiful story and I you know thinking about the passing of the torch I think it's also um, possible and I'm hopeful that we can find ways to be merging together um, coming together in, in areas, there, there is one uh, successful story of that uh, that I'd like to share from, from the, my previous district in LaGrange where there was a vibrant ministry in a very small church. And that very mm-hmm. small church was in a very remote area, but they had a vibrant feeding ministry down to just a handful able to make it to worship. And they were trying to hold the whole thing up serve on all the committees, but um, really became kind of a one board, but then also trying to make sure they kept the, the building and the grounds up and, the, and paid their pastor and um, took care of everything they needed to, plus do their feeding ministry. I mean, talk about saints of the church, right? Doing all of that, trying to share the love of Christ in the best way they knew how. And eventually they came to the place where they realized they couldn't do all that anymore and made the decision because they had a relationship with a neighboring church to merge with them. And when I say merge, I really mean kind of bring themselves over into the vitality of the other church. And lo and behold, that community, you know, of course the attendance is is bolstered, the excitement is bolstered, the feeding ministry has more volunteers the, the, the ministries that were at the previous church are, are just blossoming more because there's more excitement of the future and less burden. And when that happens, people are able to really let their own gifts come forward. Mm-hmm. And really the fruit of the spirit, Bishop Sue, you know, I, I listened to your teaching um, and your heart for the fruit of the spirit really being revealed and the prayer that comes from there. And when you see that happen, I say it, it can happen. Um, it, it, yeah. it, 
it's very possible, even when there's some loss involved, in what day this year have I not felt some loss involved? Mm-hmm. Every single day this year, I have experienced some kind of loss. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm not alone in that. We deal with that loss. And yet we know that we have a hope in Christ. And that is what gives us the passion and the energy to move forward. And to see that as an example in some of these smaller churches, mm-hmm. and that's, that's my heart. We want to help. Nobody wants to hurt anybody or make it more difficult. We want it to be more joyful and full of life, full of life in the spirit. Well, we could talk like this all day long, and I really appreciate uh, the conversation. I appreciate your insights. I appreciate the work you're doing uh, in the Southwest District. And, um, you know, every church has its day, and every church has its community, and every church has a part to play. And um, I think that... uh, we've borne witness to that and I celebrate every church, but you know, um, our mortal lives come to an end and we talk about legacy. And I think that that's how every, every corporate group is as well. So I, um, I celebrate with you the deep relationships that small churches give the lessons we learn from them, but also, uh, the encouragement that God does have a better vision and view for us than scarcity and death mm-hmm. and constant anger and frustration. And that part of it is we've got to set aside our nostalgia and set aside our own preferences and desires and see where the Holy Spirit might be going. And that's the whole Bible story, right? The whole Bible story is how do I, I must decrease so he can increase. I say that a million times a day and it's a hard thing, but thank you for bearing witness to that. And um, thanks for your ministry there. And uh, I'll see you next time on at the table and look forward to further conversations in this series. At the Table is produced by Sybil Davison and edited by Kim Drobes. Music is by Chuck Bell. Thank you, and I look forward to the next time we are together.